Ephesians chapter 6. This is, I hope, the last in the series we've been doing on spiritual warfare. We've had uh, other uh, speakers in between and some breaks, but uh, this is an important subject because whether you realize it or not, you're involved in a form of spiritual warfare. We are involved. Once you become saved, you have a target on your back. And God, the devil couldn't keep you from getting saved, so what he's desperately going to try to do is keep you from making any impact in the growth of the kingdom of God. And, uh, and he uses devices that the Bible tells us about. And if we don't have knowledge of that, we'll fight him with what the Bible calls carnal weapons. We'll fight him with our flesh, with our understanding. We'll see a little bit about, especially about that tonight. So let's just read down through these verses, starting in verse 10. And uh, I'm not going to go back and comment very much on it because we spent a bit of time on this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the deceits of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And we've looked at these different parts of the armor. Stand therefore, girding your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on your feet or shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith which which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And we've gone through these different parts of the armor of God and realized that what they are, they're really putting God on. And when you came to Christ... The Spirit of God was birthed in you, and he, make, he brings God's nature into you. That's how you become a child of God. And so really what the Apostle Paul is saying is put on who God's made you to be and rest in that instead of trying to fight because what we tend to do when anything, anybody comes at us, whether they in the natural like cut you off or some in traffic or they say something nasty about you, or it doesn't even have to be that. It can just be bad news comes at you. Recognize that in most cases, there's some kind of spiritual force behind that. And if you don't recognize that, we'll react in the flesh. We'll do what we were trained to do, either fight back with our fists or fight back with our words or fight back with our mind, figuring out either how we're going to get back at them how we're going to handle this situation without realizing in many cases it's a spiritual battle and what the devil is because he's a deceiver we saw that he wants you to think that the battle's in the fleshly realm he wants you to think the battle's in a realm that it's not because in that realm you don't have weapons to defeat him it's like going to the Super Bowl and showing up at the wrong stadium you're going to lose by default because your opponent's not there and Satan wants you to try to fight the battle of, of life, the struggle that he is engaged in you in the wrong realm. As we've taught you, there's two realms of existence the Bible teaches about. There's the natural material realm that Genesis talks about that says in the beginning it was the creation of this realm, which is anything that any of your five senses can detect, anything you can see, hear, smell, taste, or feel. Any, anything in that realm is of the material realm. And that's where we deal most of our life. We're, we're seeing things, we're reacting to things, and our mind, by and large, functions in those terms. But the Bible tells us that we're to be spiritually minded, not carnally minded. And carnally minded doesn't just thinking, mean thinking carnal thoughts. It means thinking like the world thinks. This is why Romans 12 says that we are not to be, trans, we're not to be conformed to this world. That word means pressured into being like the world, but we're to be transformed. That word means to take what your nature on the inside is like and bring it to the outside. And the way we're to do that is by renewing your mind, learning to think differently than you were trained to think as growing up in this world. And you were trained to think a certain way when situations happen. You have been trained to handle situations by your parents, by life, by your teachers, by your own reasoning. You've trained yourself when something happens where to go and what to do. And in most cases, it's the, what the, the way the world handles situations. We strike back at somebody that says something to us. We're trying to defend ourselves or promote ourselves. That's the exact opposite of what the Bible says we're supposed to do. But if you don't know that, we're just going to react the way our flesh, and then our flesh is in charge of us. And so we're going to try to fight a spiritual war that we're going to see tonight is fought in a spiritual realm with 
carnal, fleshly weapons. And that's why much of the time we've been losing and losing ground or at least not making progress. The other realm of existence is the spirit realm. And that's the realm that God lives in. It's a very real realm. Just because you can't see it, just because you can't feel it, doesn't mean it's not real. This room is filled with angels tonight. And just because you can't see them with your natural eyes does not mean they're, they're not real. It better be real because that's where we're spending eternity. We're spent, heaven is in the spirit realm, so it better be real or we're just going off into nothing. And Paul says, he says, you know, if this is all there is, forget it. Let's just, as Pastor Sam used to say, let's just eat, drink, and chase Mary. Uh, you know, just, you know, let's just have a good time. Paul says that. Let's just enjoy this life if this is all it's about. But obviously it's not all it's about because that's what the devil wants you to think. All right. And that's what these, these, these pieces of armor are just putting on God's nature, beginning to act like him because we're dealing with an enemy that's in his realm. Last week, we looked at the first part of this, that's an offensive weapon. The rest of these are all to protect you in the battle. And the one we, end, we looked at last time is in um, verse 17. It says, and, and, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So a sword is an offensive weapon. And we talked last time, that's when we take God's Word and we speak out God's Word. We are authorizing our, our, our agents in the spirit realm, which are angels. If you look at the last verse of Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Are not the angels all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for the saints of the heirs of salvation. That's you and me. So they are given, you have angels assigned to you to serve you and to help you, but they only respond when we speak the word of God. We authorize them. And so when we're speaking what our mind thinks, when we're speaking what it's wrong, they're not authorized to fight for us. And that's a lot of times why we lose because we're not speaking God's word about the situation. It's not just making positive confessions. We're, all, we're, we're in the spirit realm. We're picking up a sword of battle and sticking the enemy with it. Because if you notice, the instinct of your flesh is not to speak this word. It's to speak what's wrong. And then you'll get other wonderful Christians around you agreeing with you. And the Bible says where two or more agree... That doesn't say just positive things. It's anything. Well, maybe we may get to that tonight. All right. Now we're going to look at what sums all this up. We're going to look at the ultimate weapon tonight, what, how we actually fight this battle. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, and that's with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's a mouthful. Let's take it apart because it's crucial. This is how you fight. The rest of it's defensive, so you don't, get, you don't get knocked down. But this is how you win. This is how situations have been changed. This is how wars have been ended. This is how people have been delivered. This is how Satan is defeated in people's lives and in your life. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. We're going to take a few minutes to look at what this really says in the original language because it expands on it for us. First of all, look at it says, praying always or at all times. Actually, what that means in the Greek is in, in all seasons. It's two words. It's pas, which means all, and it's kairos, which means times or seasons or periods of time or opportunities. So he's not just saying you're supposed to pray all the time. What he's saying in every situation that you encounter, pray. And that's often the last thing we do. Isn't that expression, my goodness, has it come to that? We've got to pray? That's the first thing we should do. Is in every situation, we're, we should pray because we are now releasing spiritual forces to fight that spiritual battle. But most of the time, we see something in the natural that's happened, whether it's come against us, or it's come against a relative, or it's some situation out there, or just bad news somewhere. We're trying to think of how we're going to solve that instead of going to the one who has the answer and the power to deal with the enemy. And he's just waiting for us to ask him. So the first thing we see is praying always means pray. in every situation, see it as an opportunity to pray. Your first instinct should be to pray. 
And I think the reason we don't do that more often is because we don't have more, very much confidence in our prayers. We spent some time last year doing a series on prevailing prayer, and the whole theme of that was to learn to have confidence that when you pray, God hears you. And one of Satan's devices is to convince us that God's not answering your prayers. It's, an, it's a futile effort. And I know that's what we believe, because otherwise our prayer meetings would be packed. Why? Because it's not because we don't have needs. Yeah, but we got lots of things to do. But if we saw what prayer does, and we saw how prayer would change our family situations, prayer would change other family situations, prayer would change the atmosphere around this, this area, instead of complaining about why things are so bad, why don't we do what the Bible says to do? Pray. The Bible never says us to complain about our leaders. It says to pray for them. We do everything but what the Bible says to do. Why? We're still thinking carnally. We're still thinking like the world. And I'm talking to me as well as to you. This is something we need to be awakened to. And this is what he says. In all situations, instead of reacting, pray. 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 Okay. The next thing he says is praying always in every situation with all prayer. And that word all there actually means all manner of or all types of prayer. We studied last year when we looked at prayer that the, the Bible teaches various different kinds of prayer for various different situations. And one of the problems is, and this was really a focus last year, was that if you don't understand the different types of prayer and the way they work, the rules by which they function and their purposes, you'll just start praying one of them without realizing you're picking up the wrong weapon. And we're in a spiritual war. And so you don't want, you don't, you know, you don't want to pick up a, a water gun, you know, if you need a cannon. You know, you need to have the right weapon for the right enemy, for the right situation. And I'm not going to go through all these. I'm just going to quickly list some of them that, that, that we've talked about before. There's a prayer of consecration where you're dedicating your life to the Lord. And that's a form of warfare because consecration and that commitment to the Lord cuts away all kinds of things because Satan's number one goal is to distract you from the Lord. And so consecrating yourself to him, just praying just as Jesus did in the garden. Look, Father, I don't want to go there. Is there any way to take this cup from me? Is there any way I don't have to go to the cross? And then he settles it in himself and he says, all right, not my will, but your will be done. That doesn't mean every prayer we pray should end with according to your will because when we take God's word and we pray it, this is God's word. I don't need to ask him if he wants to heal me. He says, Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases. I know it's his will to heal me. So I don't need to ask, say, if it's your will, if, because that undermines my faith. But when I'm consecrating myself in a battle and I'm being distracted or I'm being tired and worn down, I say, God, I just want to strip everything away and I want to just commit myself again to you. My life is to serve you. My life is to love you. That's a prayer of consecration. And it's a form of spiritual weapon because it's cutting all the enemy's devices to pull me away and distract me. I'm just cutting them off and saying, I don't care what it means. I'm serving you. Because he came to do that to Jesus. And how did Jesus do it? He consecrated himself. So a prayer of consecration. A prayer of commitment, which is casting your cares before the Lord. We quoted that as we were praying at the beginning uh, before the message. You know, in Peter, in Peter, Peter says, you know, to cast your cares. That really means to roll them over on the Lord because he cares for you. Philippians 4 says that we are to be anxious for nothing. But in everything we be anxious for, do what? With prayer and supplication. So whatever you'd be anxious about, instead of being anxious about and worrying about it because in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus says your worry can't change anything for the good it can change things for the bad but not for the good so instead of putting a weapon in Satan's hand why don't we pray instead and go to God and ask him to fix the situation so there's a prayer of commitment there's a prayer of worship which is just expressing yourself worship is a form of spiritual warfare the devil just he kind of stick his fingers in his ear he works so hard to discourage you so hard. I remember when, you know, especially when it happens sometimes to now, but when I was working as a lawyer and I have a r hard, rough day, and I'd get in that car and I was working an hour away from here, driving down all the way down 146 and thinking, oh, it's Wednesday night. I'm too tired to go. You know, and I'd get home and, you know, the kids would kind of look at you and it's like, yeah, but we go to church. And I come in here, and I'm tired, you know, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm speaking to somebody tonight, probably me, tired, you know, and it's just, you know, it's been a hard day, and it's like, 
oh, you know, and the music starts, and it's like, all of a sudden, you know what, why don't I just worship God? And I begin to, it got to drive the devil mad. Work so hard, and all of you got to do it. And you know what, I've got a secret for you. You don't have to wait to come here to do that. I was out this morning, I cleaning my driveway off for the umpteenth time this week. <laughs> and I'm blessed I've got a snowblower, but i got a long driveway. And up for most of the snows, they've been light and fluffy, and it just throws them. But today, it was wet and soggy, and I'm doing this thing, and I'm, you know, I'm in a hurry, and I'm doing this thing. And every two steps, it's clogged. i got to go there. It would have been faster to shovel. And I got to take the stuff out and flip it out all over, you know. And then it's turning sideways. And I'm, and I'm starting to get upset because I'm in a hurry. I'm wet. I'm hungry. It's, oh, and all of a sudden, wait a minute. And I just started singing praises to God. And I said, the more this thing gets off track, the more I'm going to sing to you. You know, you can do it shoveling your driveway. You can do it when things are going. It's a form of spiritual warfare. It drives. It sets the angels praising God. It creates move, spiritual movement around you. You don't have any idea how much spiritual devil, demons, and angels are listening to what comes out of our mouth. We do not really understand the authority that we've been given in this earth. We affect the spiritual atmosphere that's around us by what we say. Not just idle words, but words that have meaning from our heart. That's why Jesus said, every idle or useless word you're going to give an account for. And I don't know all that means. It may be because they were wasted. It may be because we just authorized the devil. You know, the devil just listens to you. He's no mind reader. All he's got to do is listen to us. And we'll tell him what works on us. Boy, if that happens one more time, I'm going to quit. Oh, really? Let's write that down. (laughs) We give him clues of how to undermine. Isn't that stupid? World War II, there were expressions. They were posted in different places about loose lips, sink ships. And being careful who you talk to. I heard something the other day in some old program that said, uh, 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 unless you've heard it on radio or seen it in the newspaper, don't repeat it. Because I I know where the town my mother grew up, there was a shipyard for the Navy. And they were instructed to be very careful who they talked to. Why? Because they were convinced that there were spies planted in that town just to listen. They're spiritual spies planted around you just to listen. Just to listen to what we say. And see, because we don't think our words really mean anything, we just, with the Kuznin expression, we shoot our mouth off. But you really have weapons coming out of there when you shoot it. Imagine if you had a, if you had a, a submachine gun and you just walked around pulling the trigger every once in a while. People would stay away from you. You would say, knock that person down. Get that out of their hands. They're dangerous. Why? Because you can see the bullets and you can hear the gun firing. But you and I have much more dangerous bullets in our mouth. Words for good and words for evil. God has authorized us as His agents in this earth, and one of the ways we exercise that authority is by speaking. By speaking. And we either authorize angels to work on our behalf and on God's behalf, or we authorize demons to work. And we get to choose. So we need to get up every morning and decide who do we want working on our behalf? Do we want God working on our behalf or do we want the devil working on our Because it's up to you. It's up to you. Not all the situations we get into, but some of the situations we get into, we open the door with just opening our mouth and authorizing Him to work. And the good news is you can cast those words down. You can repent of it and you can cast those words down and pray, as Pastor Sam used to say, for a crop failure. But words are seeds that are sown. They're authorizing 
spiritual forces to work. And so prayer does that. So there's a prayer worship, a prayer of worship we talked about. There's a prayer of agreement, which is Matthew 18, 28, where, where, it's come, where it's two or more agree on earth as touching anything, it shall be done for them. And so just coming into agreement. And the enemy knows how to work that too. Because you start complaining about somebody and other wonderful Christians will come around and, you'll, and they'll share what they're going through also. And you have the, we have this great fellowship about what's wrong and what the devil's... That's called a worship. You know, Christians worship the devil. We've all worshiped the devil. Complaining is doing that. It's honoring what he's doing. Do you know what Satan has been doing in my life? That's worship. That's honoring him. That's praising him. He loves that. And that just fuels him. So we need to be aware that, not afraid of what we're saying, because there was a time when these things were taught, and I want Christians to go around saying, you know, but we need to be aware, because that may not be true. That doesn't mean we throw the whole thing out. Okay. Then there's a prayer of faith, which was, we've studied a lot, a prayer of supplication, a prayer of intercession. Okay, I want to move on to the next subject here. Praying always, or in every situation, every, every season, or every opportune time, with all different types of prayer, based on what's appropriate, and supplication. Look at those next three words. In the Spirit. I want to talk for a while tonight about what that means. Because you only find it said that way about praying several places, and we're going to look at them. But that term, in the Spirit, is all over the New Testament. And it's interesting if you study commentaries or you talk in other denominations, they'll mean all kinds of things by it. They mean kind of in the flow of the Spirit. And I believe there's, there's truth in all that. But we're going to look at what it means to be praying in the Spirit because, first of all, why that's important. Well, it's obviously important because the Spirit of God puts it in there. So what does that mean to us? Well, let's go back to verse 12, and we'll see why this is important. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That means we do not, we are not fighting a war that's fought with things that are in this material realm. So every one of you that I'm looking at right now, you're wearing flesh and blood, so you're not my enemy. And I've got flesh and blood, so I'm not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your, your mother-in-law is not your enemy. Your father-in-law is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Satan may use them, but they're not your enemy. And again, as I said earlier, he wants us, part of his deceit is to think that the battle's in this realm with what we can see. That means the battle's not in this realm. The real warfare's taking place at the spirit realm level where we cannot see it. The real battle's taking place in the spirit realm where we cannot see it. Let me see if I can find the scripture I was going to get to last week. So if the, if the battle is in the spirit realm, wouldn't it be important to be fighting in that realm? And if, if the weapon that we are using, learning tonight, is prayer... Wouldn't it be important that that prayer is working in the spirit realm? Yeah, here it is. Let's see. Uh, we're going to go look quickly over at... Uh, keep something in Ephesians because we'll come back there. Second Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. Well-known story, but I want to read it to you. There's war taking place at this time between um, Israel and Syria. Nothing new, I guess. And verse 8, The king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. In other words, he's making war plans. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware, be, lest you don't pass from that place, for the Syrians are coming down there. So what's happening, just to quickly shorten it down. What's happening is when the king of Syria would hold a war council in his tent, the prophet would go to the king of Israel and say, this is where they're going to go and this is where their battle's going to be fought. 
And after a while, the king of Syria figured out something's wrong, and he basically says, we've got, a, we've got a snitch in our camp here. We've got a spy in here who's telling the king of Israel what's going on in our inner circle. So, verse 12. But one of his servants says, Oh no, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. That's a gift of the Spirit operating which we just described in the New Testament called the gift of the word of knowledge, which is a supernatural revelation of some existing known fact. So the king said, all right, I see what the problem is now, verse 13. He says, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there and came by night and surrounded the city. So the king figures out, the king of Syria said, wait a minute, if the prophet's the problem, I know how to take care of that. We'll just, arrest, we'll just take the prophet captive so he can't tell the king of Israel anymore. So he sends a whole troop of soldiers by night and they surround this ta- city of Dothan where, where the prophet Elijah is staying along with his servant Gehazi. Okay. And they did that. They surrounded the city. Verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, he saw the army surrounded the city with the horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So the servant goes up, to, gets up, you know, gets his cup of coffee, goes up to the edge of the, of, the, of the city wall and looks out and says, Overnight, they're surrounded by the Assyrian army. And, you know, he starts, spills his cup of coffee, runs down and wakes up the prophet and says, My master, my master, what are we going to do? What's Elijah's answer? Elisha's answer, verse 16. So he answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant leaned over to smell what was in the prophet's coffee because the servant had been up there and he had looked with his eyes. And we're talking about spiritual warfare. He looked with his eyes and he saw a real army with real horses and real chariots and real spears surrounding them. And isn't that just like it? You get up someday and you thought, you know, went to bed, everything looked nice, and you get up and some big or bad news hits you. And it's as if, as if you know, they just surrounded you and there's nowhere to go. And your mind gets bombarded. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Your mind starts seizing up on you because you're reacting to what you've seen. And that's the servant's mind was not renewed to the Word of God. He didn't know what the prophet knew. He wasn't filled with the Spirit, whereas the prophet was. The prophet is operating in gifts of the Spirit. The prophet is operating in a flow of the Spirit. He's operating in the Spirit. He's more aware of what the Spirit's saying than what the Spirit sees than what he sees with his own eyes. He's not ignorant. He's not blind. It's not like he doesn't see them, but he's not moved by what he sees. He's trained himself to be more moved by what he sees in here than what he sees here. Now we're talking about fighting this spiritual battle in the realm in which the battle is fought, in the spirit realm, and the weapon we're using now is prayer in the spirit, which is effective in that realm. So this is why the prophet, remember we looked a few weeks ago at King David, and the giant came out and made the threats, and you had the, the, the army of Israel saw the same giant, heard the same giant, and their reaction was fear because they were reacting based on what they could see with their eyes and hear with their ears. David, the little teenage boy, came out, saw the same giant, heard the same words, but his reaction was completely different because he didn't react to what he saw with these eyes. He saw the giant, but he was more moved by what he knew in here than by what he saw here because he trained his mind to trust the reality of the Spirit in him more than the reality of what he can see. And we live so much of our time governed by, ruled by, and focused on this natural material realm to the point that it rules us instead of being ruled by the Spirit. And now we can see why. Satan wants you lost in this realm. He wants you consumed by the things of this life. He wants you worrying about all the affairs of life. Because while you're worrying about them, you're meditating on them, you're thinking about them, you're speaking them out, and we're building an awareness of the stuff around us and not the kingdom of God 
that's in us. And John says in 1 John, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But he that's in you can be greater, but if you don't tap into him, his greatness will not help you. All right, let's see what happens. Verse 16, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha, oh, what did he do? What did he do? What did he do? He prayed. He's in a warfare, and he prays. And he prays, Lord, I pray, open the eyes that he might see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So although there were horses and chariots of fire sent by the king of Syria, God had sent around the prophet to protect him a host of horses and a host of heavenly chariots because they were a spiritual force defending the prophet. The prophet knew Psalm 34. For the angel of the Lord encamps around those who seek him. Now let me ask you a question. When did the chariots show up? Did they show up when the, when the servant saw them? Or were those chariots already there? Because for God to open his eyes, God opened his eyes to see something that were already there. God gave him a spirit of discernment so that he could see into the spirit realm something that was very real and very effective on behalf of the prophet protecting him. And we live so much of our time unaware of the spiritual forces that God has put around us. And therefore, because we're not trusting them, in all likelihood, they have very little effectiveness for us. All right, let's go back to Ephesians. Praying in the Spirit. Let's talk about what that, what that means. Let's go over to Romans 8. How do we pray in the Spirit in this warfare? Now, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but Romans 8 is, is essentially, the theme of Romans 8 is essentially that what you could not do for yourself because of the weakness of your flesh, God did for you. And the first half of it is talking about saving you. That what the law could not do, the law could not make you righteous because of the weakness of your flesh, because the law depended on your faithfulness. The law depended on your determination to live right. The law depended on your, on your, your goodness done by your own effort. And although you could be good today, and you might make it tomorrow, and you may even make it through Friday, and you may even make it through Saturday, but somewhere on Sunday you're going to slip. You're going to look at somebody in here and say, what do they look like? Or what are they doing that for? And you're going to step off into pride or you're going to step off into judgment and you're going to slip and you lost the whole thing. So what Romans 8 is saying, what you could not do, the law could not do for you because it couldn't make you righteous because it required your flesh's effort God did for you sending His Son in the, sent in the Son and He sent His Spirit to bring the Spirit of life into you to make you alive where the law could not make you alive. So the first part of Romans 8 is telling you what you couldn't do for yourself because your flesh was weak, God did for you by the Spirit. And now he says in Romans 8.26, likewise. The word likewise means in the same way of what he just said. So we begin this by saying in the same way that the Spirit did for you what you couldn't do because of the weakness of your flesh, He's also going to do for you in prayer. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weakness, for we don't know what we, were, what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. 
So the first thing we see here is likewise means in the same way that you couldn't make yourself righteous because it depended on, under the law, because it depended on the, on the strength of your flesh and your strength, flesh isn't strong enough. In the same way when it comes to spiritual matters, your flesh has a weakness. Now the word weakness here actually is a word that means infirmity, which literally means an inability to produce results. And here's the problem, because what prayer is doing, and this is what we've been talking about, what prayer does is, here I am in this flesh with this red shirt on tonight and black pants, opening my mouth, saying words to God. My vocal cords are vibrating, my lungs are forcing air out of them, and those sounds are sending sound waves out that are hitting your eardrums, and you can hear sounds as I pray. And likewise, I can hear sounds as you pray. So my flesh is exerting effort and my mind is, is looking at the situation. Maybe it's Tuesday night and we have prayer cards here. And we're looking at this prayer card and say, so-and-so needs, needs whatever, needs a job. I don't know who so-and-so is. I don't know what kind of work they do. I don't know anything about it. I don't know why they're not getting a job. I don't know if they're in sin. I don't know if they're demons. Distra- I don't know what's going on. But... My prayer is because I don't know, not only don't I know the natural situation, I don't know the spiritual situation. Do you ever notice that, that Jesus doesn't heal people, all people the same way? Ever notice that? There's some of me spitting their eye. There's some of them he cast demons out. There's some of them he just spoke to them and said, See? I mean, was it just how he felt at the time? I don't believe so at all. I believe that Jesus was perfectly led by the... Who? Oh, by the Spirit. So he knew what the situation was, whether he could discern it and see the demon, or he, the Spirit in him, that was the anointing in him, was telling and prompting him what to do. But the issue is... I mean, at one point, there's a woman who's been bent over, what is it, 38 years? And he, he just speaks to the demon to loosen her. You know, we look at it, well, that's arthritis. And maybe it is, but it may be that the cause of the arthritis was the spirit. It could have been sin that she, I, I, you don't know because what's causing it has a spiritual root to it. And since you and I can't see into the Spirit and see the spiritual root, we have an infirmity when we pray. We have an inability to know what to pray for, what to take the authority we've been given and speak out to have done. And so what we do out of ignorance, we just pray what we think ought to be prayed. Well, let's just pray for the sake of praying. And most of the time, we're figuring out what our mind, what we think the problem is. And then once we pray that over once or twice, we kind of run out. Well, what do I say next? But it's a spiritual warfare. We're fighting a spiritual enemy that we can't see with our eyes and hear with our ears or touch or feel. And the reason why our prayers are not more effective is we're fighting with carnal weapons a spiritual enemy. Praying at all times in the Spirit. But God's made provision for us. Isn't that nice to know? God's made perfect provision. What, what kind of general would lead his army into battle and not give him weapons that work? What kind of army would lead, general, would lead his army into battle and say, here's, here's you know, they went to Disney World and got plastic swords? Or just not give him anything? Wouldn't God make provision for us? God's the God who always leads us in triumph, the Bible says. So God has to have provided weapons that work, that win. So let's look at what he says. Likewise, or in the same way, the Spirit's going to do something for us when it comes to prayer 
and spiritual warfare that He did for us in terms of righteousness. The Spirit helps our weaknesses. Weaknesses is a word, again, that means an infirmity or an inability to produce results, a lack of knowing something. The word help in Greek is a compound word that has three parts to it. And that's a wonderful thing about the Greek language. I don't know how you would pronounce it all the time, but it's, it'll take three concepts and combine them together. And if you, it helps, this is one of the reasons I, I looked into Greek and started studying it, because it brings fuller meaning to things. This word help in Greek means to take hold together with you against something. To take hold, grab hold of what it is you're fighting against together with you, not for you, not in place of you, and not behind you in case you mess up, but with you, together with you against the adversary. To take hold together with you against. And a great example of that, and you probably may have seen instances of this lately, and you may have been one of them. Well, I saw one a couple of weeks ago. I was had to drive down a, 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 a small street in, up in Providence, downtown Providence, not the city, but uh, up off of Broad Street. And I, the, the road was just about as wide as my car. And there were houses on either side, and this woman pulled out to turn around and go in the other direction, and she got stuck sideways in the middle of the road. And I can't go forward or backwards. I just have to sit here. There were neighbors that were shoveling around, and she couldn't get the car to move. So what they did is they came in behind the car and took hold together with her and pushed against it and pushed it out of the way. And as she turned the corner to go away, I noticed she had a Florida license plate. <laughs> But that is, gives you such a good example of what this word means. It's not... She could not push that car. But you get some strong men come alongside of her and take hold together with her and add power and strength to supplement her intentions and effort, and now that car can move. This word does not say that the Holy Spirit does it in place of you. Because, listen to me, He does not have authority to act here unless we give it to Him. We learned a long time ago that when God created this world, this universe, God gave His authority to that man. And God doesn't take it back. Satan comes along And that man now turns that authority over to Satan, which is why he's called the God of this world for now. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and there's some other places. Jesus, he he tempted Jesus to give him the authority over this world if he would just bow unto Jesus. And, And how could that be a temptation if he didn't have it to give? And then we saw that when Christ came, He came to be the second Adam to win that authority back. And for all of us who've come into Christ, we've now been taken out of the old line of authority and put under the new line of authority. And so we have God's authority as the church. Christ is the head, but we're His body with His authority in the earth. And we're going to see Sunday when Jesus says in Matthew Matthew 20, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth, therefore you go, my body. You go and exercise that authority. So the authority has been given, so the Spirit of God will not initiate that. He needs us to, to, to begin to pray and then He'll take hold together with us. Now how does He do that? Well, first of all, what we see Well, the problem is he helps our weakness. And what is our weakness? For we do not what we should pray for. Literally, that says in the Greek, we do not know the what to pray. Why why don't we know the what to pray? Because we can't see in the realm. We can't see what the situation is in the realm, spirit realm. And again, because we don't think of that realm, we don't think that that's where it's being fought, but that's where the battlefield is. 
the battlefield is in the spirit realm, and because we have an inability to see in that realm, we don't know what the issues are. But the one who's living in us does. Not only does he know what it is, he has the power to deal with that once we release it. But we don't know what to pray about that situation. And the result is what often happens is we don't or we just say some prayer so we feel better because we prayed about that situation. But it's not been effective because we've not prayed in accordance with the instructions of God's Word. We've prayed out of our own understanding. You know, sometimes we need to discern whether to pray over a situation. We hear about some situation and immediately our mind goes into some reasoning and we figure, oh, we better pray about that. And so we all come together and say, God, say, you know, do this, do this, do this. We don't know what's really going on. We don't know what's really going on. I've known situations with Brother Hagin where the Lord said, I don't want you to pray. I don't want you to pray. God doesn't want it. Well, he's the boss, isn't he? If he says don't pray, then we shouldn't pray. There's situations in the Bible. So we need instructions from the commander for the battle of what to do. But if we're in such a hurry, now sometimes there are emergencies and you need to do the best you can. But here's the wonderful provision. We don't know what to pray as we should, but the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The word intercede means it refers to somebody who comes to the aid of somebody in need. Comes to the aid of somebody in need. I'm reminded of the Good Samaritan, the story that Jesus tells when the lawyer asked him, well, you know, okay, we're supposed to love our neighbor, but I mean, it's just like a lawyer. Who is our neighbor? Let's kind of, let's define this, see whether or not we can create some exception here. Well, you didn't do that with Jesus. So Jesus told this story, this parable about the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. And and the the Samaritan is the one that crosses the street, picks the guy up, dresses his wounds, takes him to the inn, tells the innkeeper, you keep him here until I come back and check on him. And here's money enough to take care of him. And if it costs more, I'll pay the difference. And he turns to the lawyer and says, who was the neighbor? That Samaritan came along and He interceded. He took hold together with that situation, whatever that person needed. And so the Spirit of God intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. He comes along to help in that weakness, in that inability. And He prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, I've got to be very frank with you about this. It's not clear what that is. Just know that it's groanings that can't be uttered. So that means we won't understand what they are. And I've heard people say, this is tongues, and I'm going to show you what tongues do in a minute. And it may well be. But whether it's tongues or not, all I know is the Bible's saying the Spirit's interceding for me. Whether I understand or not doesn't matter. Well, I can't understand it because I, I don't hear the utterance. But look at the other part of it. Let's keep going on. Verse 27. That's the Spirit's role. Now, remember when we're praying, we're praying to somebody. I remember years ago, and he's not here anymore, but there was one of the elders we asked to just fill in on Tuesday night and lead prayer. And the, uh, he came to me after. He said, well, how did I do? I said, wait a minute. It wasn't a performance. <laughs> prayer, the, 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 the proof of how you did is the answer you get. <laughs> the purpose of praying is to get an answer, not to sound good. And so, so there's, we we're praying to somebody. Now, let's look at this perfect communication. See, God has designed, when it comes to prayer, a perfect communication system. We learned this a little bit in in renewing the mind. God has formed a perfect communication system. So here's the problem. My natural mind doesn't know what the situation is. I'm not quite sure what to pray. But God has put His Spirit in me who knows perfectly what it is. And now we find, as I open my mouth to pray, as I come to sincerely pray, the Spirit takes hold together with me about that situation. And with groanings which I don't understand, He begins to pray it out, the perfect will of God out. Now, let's look at verse 27. Look what happens. Now, He who searches the hearts, who's that? That's God. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because He makes intercession for the saints 
according to the will of God. So what's going on is when I'm praying in the Spirit, we'll talk about what that means. When I'm praying in the Spirit, what's happening is the Spirit's taking my, my inaccurate, my uninformed, my very limited knowledge of the situation, and He's transmitting that in a wavelength that conforms to the perfect will of God about the situation. And God, who searches the hearts of people, searches our hearts to... He- Isn't that nice to know God's searching your heart to know what your desire is? Isn't that knowing that God's not just sitting up in heaven? Oh, I hear some noise down there. God's searching our hearts to find out what we want done. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He communicates perfectly with God. Now, we don't have time to get into it, but the other side of it is the verse you hear me quote so often at the beginning of the services. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10. For eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is it near the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love Him. Why? Because it's in the spirit realm and we can't see it. But the Spirit has been given to reveal those things to us. So the Spirit of God has been put in us to reveal to us what God wants us to know. And the Spirit of God has been put in us to reveal to God what's in our heart. Perfect communication, spirit to spirit. Where's the problem? The problem is the 18 inches above your spirit, from here to here. (laughs) It's discerning here what the Spirit's saying here. And we'll talk about that later on. But I want you to see that praying in the Spirit is so important because praying in the Spirit is what engages the Holy Spirit in this warfare and He is the power of God and He is the wisdom of God of what to pray and how to overcome the enemy. And next week we'll look at what it means to pray in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight and thank you that you have equipped us to be victorious in the warfare in which we find ourselves. Father, your word's filled with promises. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty, shall abide under the shadow of the Most You'll be our rock and our fortress. You'll be our protection. And though a thousand may fall on my right and ten thousand on my left, it won't come near me. For your angels have begun charge over me to keep me in all my ways, lest I dash my foot against a stone. You're our protection. You're our provision. You're our victory. And Lord, we've been so much of our time dealing with things in the flesh with our own understanding. Begin to awaken us to the realm of the Spirit that's around us and that is so vital. And continue to give us understanding that we may have confidence in prayer as we, that we are victorious because we are the body of Christ and the army of God in the earth today. And for this grace, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.